and building a seven-figure online business in just two years. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, a member of the Entrepreneur Podcast Network. If you want to learn how to make extra money and start a business on your own time and on your own terms, you are in the right place. Really cool case study for you today under the category of create something once, sell it over and over again. As you know, it's a business model that I love. Today's guest is an award-winning teacher, a dad, and for his online business, specializes in helping kids learn to read starting at super young ages. Kind of a surprising niche to me, at least, but it's really taken off. From toddlersread.com, Spencer Russell, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. You bet. Stick around in this one. You're going to learn how Spencer pre-sold his concept and how he drives traffic and sales to his course today. So you can borrow the same or similar tactics and apply those in your online business. Spencer, I want to start with why did this need to exist in the world? Well, at the point when I started this business, I was really looking for the thing that I was going to do. And I was reading a book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And one of the things that he said was, you should focus on something that fulfills three criteria, something where you are the best in the world at, something you would wake up excited to do, and something where you could provide for your family. And I was running through my head, what are the jobs, the occupations, the roles that I could fill that would hit those three criteria? And at the time, I had already taught my son to read. He was two years old. And I'm kind of running through this list. And I'm like, wow, I'm pretty good at teaching little kids how to read. And I'm doing my market research. And I'm saying, okay, there's online courses for all aspects of toddler parenting, for feeding, for motor skills, for behavior, for speech. Yeah, sleep training. Yeah. There's nothing for reading. And I'm like, okay, I've got two of the three. I think there's a market for this. I think I'm good at it. I think I'm really good at this. And I think I'd wake up excited to do this. And I think when those three factors came together, for me, it was almost instant. I came up with the idea for Toddlers Can Read. And I was like, this is going to be an online course that helps parents teach their toddlers how to read. So the three criteria from good to great were something you can be best in the world at, something you're excited to do. And something that could pay the bill, something that could provide for your family. Exactly. I want to pause on this best in the world thing, because I think that would be intimidating to a lot of people, especially when they're just starting out, where like, well, sure, I'm maybe I aspire to be the best in the world, or maybe I don't. But like starting out, I probably am not that. Can you speak to that for a little bit? I take best in the world as I don't take it literally, per se. At this point, there's no way for me to know I'm the best at teaching toddlers to read in the world. I just knew I was good at it, right? And I think there's kind of two paths towards mastery. There's one path where you say, let's look at my current level of skill. I'm pretty good at this thing. Let's do this thing. And there's another path where we say, let's look at our passion. Let's look at our interests. Let's look at the places where we're tenacious about getting better. And let's focus on that because that can be an area to improve. So I think if folks don't have something they're good at, but do have something they're passionate about, something that they're willing to work hard to get better, then that might be the place to lean in that you could skill up and improve. Yeah, this is something that has kind of been on my mind lately where you almost need that level. You don't necessarily need it starting out, but you need that level of aspirational curiosity obsession to help you get through the sometimes long, slow ramp up period of, well, I'm not seeing the results, something to keep you going. But then also just as a competitive moat, I remember even probably 10 plus years ago, reading in one of Gary Vaynerchuk's books, had this one word chapter on the secret to marketing, and it was just care. And that's something that has stood out. But this idea of trying to be 
that best in the world at whatever it is that you do, even if you're not there objectively, like trying to get there in your mind and like trying to climb that mountain one day at a time. So I appreciate you sharing that. And what's interesting here is like, hey, there's lots of courses that target parents of young kids, but nothing in this specific niche, at least that you could find. And so it was somewhat validation. Hey, parents are spending money to improve their lives and their kids' lives, but somewhat of a blue ocean in this particular category. Is that right? That's right. A deep, wide blue ocean that to me, I was surprised to find as a kid who struggled to read, as a educator of kids who struggled with reading, as just a parent who knows other parents of kids and what's on their mind, what's on their heart. Reading isn't top of mind for every toddler parent, but it is on the mind. And certainly by the time a kid hits kindergarten, it's high on the list. So to enter this arena for me and to have basically one competitor who hasn't done any work in the last 10 years, I was moving with a sense of urgency because like, there's no way I'm the only person thinking about this, but I was. So what happened first? So you come up with the idea and you don't have an audience to speak of, but what happens first? After I came up with the idea, I entered like a learning phase. So this was listening to podcasts on online business because I had no idea how online businesses worked at all. I had only worked as like a teacher and like a teacher coach, but business was completely new to me. So there was a learning phase, a reading phase, kind of some of the basics like Russell Brunson and stuff that people read, story brand when they're getting started. Then there was a creation phase that came really quickly. So I knew how to teach the reading. I didn't know how to package it together as a course. I started to work on putting the course together. I hired someone right away to just help me make the PowerPoint slides and make the presentation. And I pre-sold. And I said, this is coming out mid-June. And I just started selling to friends, to family, anyone who might want to sign up. The selling went really poorly. I wasn't good at it. Most people said they'd get it and they never did, but it forced me to have a product ready mid-June. So it was a couple months between idea and launch of the product. What'd you price it at, the pre-sale? It was $49. Okay. No real like online platform, the Instagram account and stuff like that comes later. So right now it's just friends, family, colleagues. Hey, I'm building this thing. It's coming out mid-June. Click here to buy it. Or would you buy it? A lot of verbal yeses, but when it came time to swipe the credit card, not as much. Exactly right. A lot of people texted me, yeah, I'm interested. And then I put the $49 thing on there, said it's available. And I think it was four days. It was three or four days between like announcing it was live, having like a spreadsheet of like 30 people who were verbally committed and before the first person actually purchased. So that was very stressful. It's a long three or four days, huh? (laughs) What are you thinking during that time? Like, oh, maybe maybe this isn't as golden of a market as I thought it was going to be. I'll be honest. There's never been a point where I've doubted that this will be successful. There's been many, many points that have been stressful. There have been times when it's tough. Like I cried in that period of three or four days of no sales because I'm looking at something that I've put a big bet in at this point. I haven't quit my job yet, but this is what I've said I do. I've invested time and resources and energy and to fail in my perception in like that three or four days was frustrating. But to me, there was never this concept of like, this is going to fail in general. It's just this launch didn't work. This strategy didn't work. And so there's that little period that sucks. And then you bounce back and you're like, okay, 
what do I do next? What's the thing I need to do to kind of fix this and make sales? Do you remember how many pre-sale orders you did end up getting? I had 30, like 31 or 32 people okay. who ended up buying the course. I advertised the course as a trial. So that 49 bucks, it was under the assumption this is going to be priced up more eventually. This is a trial. The only way that I can be successful is if you're successful. So please, please, please buy. I need your kid to succeed. I need you to succeed. I need to share the story of you and your kid succeeding. So it took a month or two, but I got like 30 to 32 people in. Okay. Okay. That's enough. It sounds like you were going to go forward to build it either way, but at least you have some validation where it's not just like two buyers and you're like, well, do I still go build it? Was the demand really there? Did it materialize the way I expected it to? So you got a few dozen people in and say, I'm going to build it. What did you do? It kind of like a cohort based thing where you don't log on to zoom at this time and we'll go through these lessons. How did you structure this beta version? I had pre-recorded everything. So it was like a fully go at your own pace, automated online course. And my plan as people went through was just to track their data, to see how much they watched, what sections they watched. I had all these surveys and polls for feedback kind of spliced throughout the course. And the biggest thing I learned was that most people don't finish online courses. Isn't that frustrating? (laughs) I thought I was going to get all this wonderful data. Yeah. It's like you paid for this thing. And now it's like probably more than half the people don't even like log in. That's right. And my takeaway from that was I need to make it more engaging. I need to make it easier to access. I thought my takeaway was going to be, I need to teach this lesson more clear or explain this concept better. I was like, no, I want to switch to Kajabi at this point because parents can take it on their phone. That'll be a little bit easier. I want to shoot my videos a little higher quality so they look better produced. I want to jump into the meat of the lesson faster so people don't have to listen to me talk a bunch at the beginning. Okay. And so it was all on just how do you get people to watch and engage with and actually do the online course. Yeah, keeping that target customer in mind, like a busy parent of a toddler, like not necessarily a ton of time to sit down behind the laptop and watch an online course. So, okay, I need to get it on a hosting platform that will allow it to be consumed on the phone. That makes sense. So what happens next? So you're trying to collect feedback. It's like pulling teeth because nobody's actually going through the material. But I assume you actually eventually do get some feedback in that or maybe the feedback is that there was a lack of feedback. And that's one thing in itself. But using that to kind of restructure things to shoot, not just the beta version, but like this is the real deal now. Around this time, when we launched the pilot, we started selling was when we first got on Instagram. We're starting the social media profile at the same time. And I think this kind of next stage is learning how to market the content. It's what sorts of messages resonate with people What sorts of things do I talk about and how do I explain it? And so I think the next iteration of the courses were informed in part by people don't do online courses. So how do I make this more interesting and engaging and easy to watch? And then my delivery and my presence and the energy changed a lot just from being on social media. I learned how to explain things quicker. I learned topics like sight words that for me weren't that big on my radar, but for parents were huge. I was able to then start to kind of fold in a lot of the learning that came from posting content and having conversations with parents online into the actual courses and the content and the product that I'm delivering itself. Yeah, you're closing in on a million followers. The Instagram handle is toddlers can read. You can check Spencer out over there. 
but nobody starts with 900 something thousand followers. Like what was the initial content or what do you think gave the account a boost to get on people's radars to get that initial social media attention? I think that's the million dollar question because <laughs> right. if this were easy, then everybody would have huge accounts and we've been able to do it across every platform, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, we're over two and a half million. And some of those accounts are new, like a year old. And so I think what's kind of set my team and I apart is we have a constant focus on you, you, the viewer. It is never I, Spencer. It is never me. It is never my kid. It is always you and your kid. And I think that's the number one thing. A lot of people start early childhood accounts, educational accounts, and they don't realize it, but it's look at me, look at what I can do. Look at my kid, look at what they can do. Some of these videos will go viral, they'll get traction. I've got a kid at home who is an incredible reader. He's been reading since he's two. He's off the charts. I don't talk about it. People don't want to hear it. I will mention it here and there for credibility, but at the end of the day, nobody cares. Nobody cares what my kid can do. Nobody cares what I can do. People care what they can do. And I think parents who are busy, parents who are anxious, parents who want the best for their kid, they want to understand what is the simple 20-second, 30-second change that I can make to help my kid win. And they want to be empowered to go out and do that. So I think growth on social media, you can talk to 100 people and get 100 different answers. It's about delivering genuinely helpful content to your audience that they can watch quickly, that's going to entertain them, and that's going to help them with some kind of thing, some kind of problem that they're working on in their life. Yeah, sharing these kind of quick hit wins related to phonics and early reading and questions that parents might have. I think that makes sense. Was there an early post that did get some viral traction, if you remember? Our first viral post was on TikTok in January of 2022. And it was a sight word post. And at this point, we were just reposting everything from Instagram to TikTok. I actually wasn't logging in at all. I had someone on my team just reposting because one social media platform for me was overwhelming enough. I didn't want to have to worry about two at that point. And I woke up, my teammate texted me. I was like, I think we're going viral. You need to log in. And, and I logged in and just the notifications are crazy. And we learned from that post, sight words as a topic is a big thing. And so we started to do more posts on sight words than a lot of those posts picked up. And I think this kind of gets to the second part of the equation for social media is like after content, really good, really helpful, really quick, really entertaining content, there's data. From that point in January to today, we track data ruthlessly. I can analyze Instagram videos, TikTok videos across like 40 different metrics. I can eyeball it. I can look at it and I can tell you, this is why it's not getting views. This one needs to get better. They should have tried this. They should have done this. Next time they could do this. Here's three other ways to present that same concept. And that all comes from the numbers. And so I think we have this advantage on social media that no one else has because people look online and they guess. They say, oh, people didn't like this video. Let me make another. People didn't like this video. Let me make another. We look at it and we say, what was the watch time? How many people were still watching after one second? After two seconds? After three seconds? Okay. Two seconds was the drop-off. What was happening? 
What was the angle? How many clips? Was there a kid in shot? What was the topic? What was the header? Where were the captions? What was my message to parents? Was it a negative hook? Was it a positive hook? And we're able to, 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 to break down a lot of this data and then use that as a feedback loop. And it's obviously not perfect, but we're really trying to pair great helpful content with a really tight grasp on data and analytics in order to continue to feel growth. Yeah, feed that algorithm what's working versus trying to just throw something out there. And I almost never look at the YouTube analytics. I probably should, because I was reading something. This was an article on Mr. Beast, and he was talking about if you can improve your watch time by 10%, or if you can improve your click-through rate on your thumbnail by 10%, it's not going to get 10% more views. It's like you might get double or quadruple the views, because like those are the metrics that matter to the algorithm. It's like if you can make that video just a little bit more compelling, all of a sudden, yeah, it really starts to get pushed out by the powers that be. And that's one thing that I think is maybe most interesting about this niche is I don't know if a lot of parents are actively looking, and I know I certainly wasn't at this stage, how to teach my two-year-old to read. Like that wasn't something that was on my radar. You almost have to go out and create the demand for that. And that's something that these social platforms kind of allow you to do. Like, well, have you thought about instead of teaching the alphabet this way, have you thought about doing it? Like, I think it makes it kind of somewhat compelling. Like it breaks through the clutter because it's new, novel, different. The question was really about demand creation versus demand filling, where we had a guy last month, you had an ice vending business, demand filling. People want ice, hey, I provide them to that, you know, versus maybe parents of toddlers don't even know that this exists. And so I got to go out and like proactively find them and educate them. Yeah, I think I felt both roles. For parents of toddlers, it is demand creating. And for parents of older children, it's demand filling. I've got people who follow me, watch me, interact with the content, who have kids six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, up through adults who themselves struggle with reading. And I've got folks of kids who are one, two, three, four, five, and people who are pregnant. I've got people who don't even have kids yet who just want to be ready. There are some folks who certainly... It's an interruptive sort of marketing where they're going about their day, they're looking for activities, how do we learn through play, and they see my stuff pop up. And I've got a lot of other people who are seeking out support for their kids because their kids are struggling. And here's an account who's presenting this in ways that feel easy, ways that feel like, you know, if if I took a couple minutes today, I could actually pull this off. For the older kids, it definitely does seem like, yeah, people might be seeking out, how come my kid's struggling? How can I help them? There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a resource out there. And so they come across you through proactive search, maybe less through through social media. Are they finding you through Google, YouTube? Like, is there a SEO angle here too? We are working on an SEO angle. I think we've been so successful with social media that we've been able to just get a lot of traffic and traction from these four social media platforms. But the last year or so, we've had a big push on making sure we have one good blog that's posted every week that targets a couple different keywords. We are beginning to do advertising, Google ads and Facebook ads for really the first time. And we're excited to see how that goes. But we've had most of the traffic come from social media. We're leaning into SEO. That's where we want the bulk of our traffic to come from and beginning to play with ads. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and 
you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's a typical call to action if there is such a thing? on a, a social media post of yours to have people go deeper and say like, yeah, there is a paid product behind all this. I typically push people to my free training, which is a funnel to the paid courses. I think one difference between my free training and a lot of the sales webinars that I've seen and that people promote is that if you were to watch the 30 minutes and not purchase at the end, you still have more than enough to go do with your kid. I've still walked you through how to teach the sounds. I've walked you through how to teach blending, the mistakes you could make and how to avoid it. And I've walked you through what comes next and how we make the transition from these building blocks towards actually having kids read books. So I push people most frequently to the free training. Some of them buy the course, many of them don't. Occasionally I'll push people to a freebie. We make a lot of helpful PDFs for parents. We have a quiz that can help parents know how to get started. And I'd say 5%, 5 to 10% of the time, I'll lead people directly to a course. And I'll say, if your kid is at this level, here's a course that might support. Okay. And what's the price point of the course today? Today, the courses are $99 each. There are three of them or $249 for the bundle. Depending on when you are listening to this, the price may be higher yes, of course. Subject for to the change. courses and for the bundle because we're going to be adding some value. We'll always put that asterisk, of course, subject <laughs> to change in the future for sure. Okay, so three different products or get the whole bundle for a discount. I think that makes sense. I'm on the free training registration page. This is toddlersread.com slash free dash workshop if you want to check it out. And so this is the half hour free training where you go through and then so email sign up required. And then call to action at the end of that. Hey, 
if you want to learn more, if you want to go deeper, if you want us to really follow this process, you can buy the courses individually or buy the bundle then. Correct. And if you were to sign up for that right now and go in, you would see there's a live chat as you watch. That's another bot. That is someone on my team who will be chatting if you have questions, answering them as you watch. And if they don't know the answer... That's like next level, yeah. They'll text me. I'll get the text here. I'll shoot the answer back and you're good to go. So we've put a lot of effort into making this really, really valuable. It costs us a good amount of money in platform and in people to pull this training off. But ultimately, we're a business, but we're also a business that deals with people's kids. And so I want to make sure that anyone yeah. who interacts with my brand is, is getting a ton of value in return. Are you staffing the live chat 24-7? It's not 24-7 yet. It's 8 to 4 central. And then I've got someone else from 4 to 8. And then anything between 8 p.m. and when I go to bed is me. And then we get all the overnight messages in the morning. Yeah, I haven't seen that. That's a really cool high touch. Like, oh, people are actually standing by. Like, I imagine that instills a huge level of confidence to would-be customers. Do you have a sense of the people who watch the free training? What percentage of those people either buy right away or they you know, then follow up over email? You sound like you're a data guy. So curious to see what kind of take rate you get. I am. And I will caveat the data with our demographic is shifting away from the U.S. towards India, towards parts of Asia, towards large swaths of Africa. So we have a lot of people who are coming into the training who cannot afford our courses. And so when I think about our data over time, initially we had like a 10 to 12% conversion rate on our training. And wow, that's really strong. It is. We also had exclusively warm leads coming in, people who are coming from my Instagram and my stories who already were familiar with the brand. We had majority folks from the US and we had a cheaper product. And over time, the price has gone up and it's really hard to get US only conversion data because that to me is the most representative of a potential buyer. That said, I think we're roughly 5% conversion. We'll go down to four. We'll go up to six, maybe seven. But the conversion rate dips when we go viral. And then it comes back up to normal okay. when things are static. So the warmer the audience, the higher the conversion. The broader our reach, the lower the conversion. Okay. And then the tech behind this is Kajabi. And is that you're using them for video hosting and as an email service provider too? I use Kajabi almost exclusively for the courses themselves. So we started with Kajabi for everything. Then we've kind of outsourced specific tasks to different companies. So we use ActiveCampaign for email. I feel you on the insane price of ActiveCampaign. We use eWebinar. There's a lot of companies that sound similar, like EverWebinar and stuff, but just eWebinar for the webinar itself. And couldn't be happier with that service. The live chat, there's polls, there's interactions that will pop up in the, in the moment. So we can intentionally try to keep someone engaged, clicking polls and seeing other people's answers as they watched. We can do checks for understanding. Even though it's pre-recorded, even though it's kind of on demand. Exactly right. 
is on demand, but the poll will pop up and I'll show you what other people put before it. Okay. So we can say, did that explanation make sense? Yes, no, whatever. If they're like, no, we can have a message pop up that's like, hey, feel free to ask a question. E-webinar is great. And then we've got an unfortunately large list of other things that we've had to use at this point, just based on kind of volume and very specific needs. But we started super streamlined and reluctantly have given up parts of the business to other platforms. <laughs> Why do you say reluctantly? Reluctantly, because it's a ton of money and it's more complicated. Like I really liked having an all-in-one in Kajabi. I still recommend Kajabi to everybody, but it's a lot of money to pay for just having email addresses or a lot of money to pay for a webinar or a lot of money to pay for quizzes and everything has a cost. That's fair. I feel the same way. Like lots of different tools duct taped together over the course of 10 years. That's where like a lot of these all-in-one didn't necessarily exist when I started. It's like, well, all these software companies know the switching cost is so high that like, well, we got to kind of the tentacles are wrapped around at, at this point. Talk to me about the, let's say 95% of people who don't buy. What happens over the course of the next several weeks over email or you know, how else are you engaging with them, trying to get them off the fence and into your paid ecosystem? So in the three days after they don't purchase, we're making a push for them to purchase. So there's a limited discount. We're sending a couple emails. Hey, do you want to get this? Do you want to get this? Do you want to get this? We hope they do. Many of them don't. At that point, we have a nurture sequence that will just give them a lot of our best performing blogs. It will give them information. We're trying to keep them warm, keep them in the ecosystem, give them a ton of value, but we're not pushing to a sale. We're just kind of keeping them warm and helping them understand the resources that we offer. And theoretically, during that time, there might be some kind of sale. Maybe Black Friday is happening, or maybe we've just gotten some flashcards in the mail, or maybe something else. And if that happens, then they're just on our list and we can launch to them. But the goal there is to just give them a lot of value after the fact. We probably make fewer sales pushes than we should to be perfectly honest, but our goal is to give value and to make sure people want to be on our email list. The paid traffic side, is this similar driving traffic to the free workshop? We really are brand new here. So we're going to try to the free workshop. We're going to try to the courses. We're going to make some tweaks to landing copy and to our landing pages and see what works, but we're not getting enough sales or spending enough money here for me to say, here's the paid strategy. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if there was a target cost per acquisition, because somebody I talked to recently said, like, oh, I'm paying a buck 25 or something, a subscriber. I was like, that seems really inexpensive these days. But I don't know if you have any numbers there. I don't, unfortunately. All right. Is there a recurring element to any of this where, okay, we can make the one-off sale either for the courses a la carte or for the bundle. But then after that, obviously, we're going to take great care of those customers. But then it's kind of one and done. Is there a recurring element today or is it something that's on the horizon? There isn't a recurring element yet. And for a long time, I believed I had made no mistakes with this business. I was just locked in, learned all I could learn, any like little minor thing here. I view a mistake as something that could have been preventable. And a lot of the things that came up were just learning. I couldn't have possibly known until I did it. So I don't beat myself up for that. Not having a subscription model to me, I think is my biggest mistake. And that structure would be what I would shift my business to if I could start over. But for many reasons, I can't. There's changes we can make. There's shifts we can make. We are going to make. But at this point, 
it makes the most sense to add a higher ticket, high cost membership option. That's either a pay this for the year or pay this every month, which we're planning to add in 2024 for folks who want more support, higher touch, that sort of thing. But the course model, it's effective. It's great. It's good for parents. It is, in my opinion, for the amount of folks that I reach, my traffic, what I offer, it is worse for business than if I were to charge people a lower amount of money on a recurring basis. That's an interesting take to say we could have had more people come in if we put it at 25 bucks a month versus a one-time $100 or $250 for the bundle. That's kind of interesting to hear. Yep. And my specific market, it's global. So 99 USD is not in everybody's price range. Even 25 USD or 29.99, that's pricey for some folks. So could I have predicted having the number of followers I have today and having this like incredible reach? Yes. I thought it would happen. It did happen. Could I have predicted how quickly it would happen and that I would like be here two years later today with this reach? No. I think the biggest lesson for me is even if I'm confident in a model, even if I think this is the best choice, there's still a lot of learning that I need to do and a lot of trial and error in order to land on this is the final thing. Because some choices are easy to reverse and others you kind of live with. And I'm at a stage now where reading, learning, growing is part of my daily routine. I have mentors and other people I listen to and look up to who are way further ahead than me. And this idea of membership didn't even pop into my head until very recently when I'm kind of looking at and studying other businesses. And so getting started at the very, very beginning, I think I was learning as much as I could. I think when I started launching, I kind of stopped some of that learning and I was like, all right, we're just kind of doing and I'm learning through doing. But to me, if I was learning more, if I was more engaged, if I was talking with more course creators and more people who've done this, I would have seen much, much sooner the value of a membership versus a course. I think the course is great financially, especially given my demographic. There's just a lot more money to be had with a membership. And I think people like memberships too, because they like having a small amount of money leave versus a big amount of money all at once. Yeah, pros and cons to it, where I might be more likely to buy the one-off thing. Okay, it's 250 bucks. Okay, fine. Like I'll take that initial pain versus like, well, if I don't like this, I got to remember to cancel it. Or like, like, you're just going to keep billing me forever. <laughs> I, gotta, I don't know. I, I think different ones would appeal to different people. Even without the recurring model right now, it's obviously blown up and done really, really well. And it's kind of a cool market that is constantly replenished. Like as long as people keep having babies, like we're going to be here, we're going to be helping them when they get to that reading age. So it makes a lot of sense there. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills and then we'll be right back to the show. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like, and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business and Inside 
You'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those uh, tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. That means whether you're just starting out or your side hustle is already growing like crazy, Squarespace takes all things website-related and makes them easy. I want to highlight a few Squarespace features for you. One I knew about and a couple I didn't. First off, where Squarespace really shines is this huge library of professional website templates. That means you're not starting from scratch because they've got designs for every category and use case that you can customize to fit your unique needs so your business stands out online. That was the thing I knew about. Second one was new to me, and that's their online store functionality. Whether you're selling physical or digital products or a service, Squarespace has got the tools you need to start selling online. And third is their email campaigns. They make it easy to collect email subscribers from your site and drive engagement and sales through Squarespace email campaigns, and you can track the results of every send with built-in analytics. So head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash side hustle to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash side hustle. Where's your time going today? What's a day in the life if there is such a thing? I've got my days broken up into blocks. I used to call them my success blocks. Now I just call them my blocks. And these are the things I need to do every day to win. The first thing, wake up, Cardio, stretch, cold shower, cleaning. That's kind of just like getting my head right, getting my mindset right, doing the things I need to do that are good for mental health to have the energy for the day. Block two is learning. And I call it my morning block after the early morning stuff, which is I read, I journal, and I meditate. And then after that is my PQO, which is prolific quality output. These are the things I need to do to push the business forward. So from 8 to 11 a.m., it is just big picture stuff. So whether this is strategic thinking, right now, prep for Black Friday, working on revising courses, delegating things to my team. This is just the stuff that moves the needle that if I wasn't really focused on would get neglected or ignored because there's always a million things to do in the day. I've got something I learned from Brendan Bouchard, which is called the 11 a.m. rule, which is my phone is on do not disturb until 11 a.m. My team can't text me, slack me. There's no communication unless it's an emergency. But if it's not an emergency, before 11 a.m. is all big picture work that needs to get done. No meetings, nothing. And then from 11 to 12, we're checking in on everything. Quick check, emails, slack social media, finances, communications. I do some online business coaching for folks, helping them with their social media stuff. So I'll check in on that. And then 12 to four, three days a week, we're shooting content. So a lot of that time is booked shooting content for my courses or for my social media. And if it's not, I'm usually like leading meetings with my team. 
And if we're not doing that, then we're trying to get other other tests done. Okay. From four to eight, it's some combination of working out and being a dad with my family and being a husband. And then from eight to 10 is back to work. Emails that my team couldn't do, DMs that my team couldn't do, other tasks in the day, reviewing certain things, catching up on other things. And the goal is to be in bed at 1030. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing in that level of detail. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I never heard this term PQO, prolific quality output. I think I should uh, start blocking out some PQO time. I like that. I love it. It's game changing. So you said, well, maybe my biggest mistake was not setting this up as a membership early on. But anything else that surprised you over the last couple of years of building Toddlers Can Read? Maybe a surprise that people are familiar with. Maybe not. In hindsight, when you learn how our brain works and neurochemicals and how they're released and peaks and valleys and all this other stuff, hey, that's not that surprising. But for me, it's been surprising how quickly I've adjusted and adapted and gotten used to the things that like two years ago would have been a dream. I sat down and I pictured this business in my head and I visualized it every day and I visualized certain things happening. And I told people these things and they laughed at me and I tell them and they tell me, don't quit your job, right? That's a, that's a dumb choice. And I, I picture these things happening. And then as they've happened, there's, there's like this rush of joy and it feels incredible. And then it goes away. And then all of a sudden you're used to it. Yeah. That's the new normal. Yeah. It's a daily battle to be very honest with you to keep perspective because it's not normal to have videos go viral and hit millions and millions and millions of people or to have celebrities message you or to have days where you're selling thousands and thousands of dollars of courses or to be able to make your own schedule and do what you want. Like these things are things people dream of. They're things that I dreamed of, but once you hit it, it just kind of becomes, okay, that's the baseline. How do I rise above that? So I think, the surprise for me, a lot of my learning has been about mental health. A lot of it, a tremendous amount has been how do I take care of myself, my energy, how do I keep this in perspective? How do I take care of my family and spend time with them? I've done all this business learning, all this business knowledge, because that was all new. But I've had to learn so much about myself and how I work in order to take care of my family and to take care of my team. It's been a roller coaster journey that trends up but certainly it is not one that I expected when I started. That's really important to hear and hear you talk about that kind of the adaptation to the new normal of like, well, yeah, I'm used to selling a few thousand bucks a day worth of this thing. And then if for whatever reason, like then there's a dip and you're like, well, what's wrong? You know, you're like, well, I'm still way better off than I was a couple of years ago, but I got used to this new thing and I'm hundred percent guilty of that. Like if maybe it's an algorithm update or maybe one post lost ranking and like that corresponded to a dip in income or whatever it is, it just becomes what you're used to. And then every time it gets taken away, you're like, I felt entitled to that all of a sudden. So thanks for sharing that side of things. What's next for Toddlers Can Read? You mentioned Black Friday coming up. What does the future hold for this business? We've got a lot of exciting updates coming up. So we've updated one of our three courses. We're about to update a second in the coming weeks. And then early November, we're going to update the third. So all three courses will be new and improved better versions. So that's update number one. Number two, we have our first set of books coming in. So we sell flashcards. They're awesome. They're super popular. 
We have our own decodable books, which is a very unique genre of books to help kids learn how to read. The first hundred are here. We've got another 5,000 in the way. So we're adding books to the rotation as we move. Oh my gosh. So now I don't got to pause because I've had other people say like, I run a digital business. I don't want to deal with physical products, inventory, shipping, logistics, none of that. Like talk to me about, okay, oh no, we're going to expand the product line, but do it in a physical product way. And we're going to expand past that whiteboards, markers, more sets of books, organizers. When people sign up and say, I want to teach my kid how to read, what they really want is they want stuff. They want things. They want objects. They don't want to buy an online course and then have to go on Amazon and buy a whiteboard and buy a marker and figure out what they need. They want to sign up and they want to get a box of everything they need to teach to their house and the videos on their phone of here's how you teach it. And I did not plan to make resources like this, but I've also had countless, honestly, who knows how many conversations at this point with parents where I know what they want and I've listened to the market and we've been shipping out of our garage for a year and a half. The next set of books is coming to a logistics company. So they're going to start handling shipping for us. It'll be the first time that we're not doing it ourselves, which is exciting and also expensive. Right. But there's a market for it. People want it. People need it. And most of the resources parents have available are not good. There aren't premium flashcards outside of the flashcards we've made. There aren't premium books outside of the books that we've made. So we're giving parents a really, really good product they can buy at a lower price point than the courses or at a discount or free with the courses. Yeah, I like that. Listening to what customers want. They want stuff, right? It's like, well, the online thing, that's fine. I guess I can go through this, but like it feels more tangible, right? And maybe this is, I've seen some other courses do that where that like that's the high price point comes with unlimited customer support and it comes with the bundle that we ship to your door and the branded box and everything. And I think that makes a lot of sense and potentially price discriminate in that way from low ticket versus higher ticket. Right. We're planning to have a physical version and a digital version of each course. So you can kind of toggle back and forth between and see, okay, course one, here's the physical version, the digital version. And you'll see the price go up because we need to pay for the materials and pay to get it to your house. Okay. So we got the course updates. We got the physical product stuff. I felt like you had something else on the horizon for me. I'm going through the timeline in my head. Course updates, physical stuff. We're going to be looking at international markets. So there's a lot more learning to be done there. We're going to look at Amazon as a place to sell our physical stuff because currently everything is being sold through the website. And so the only way that we get traffic is that people know about us. Amazon is a way to get traffic from people who may not know about you, but are looking for your product. So that's in the list. Having a robust affiliate program, that's also a 2024 concept. And I would say the biggest thing that is on the horizon that we haven't talked about much publicly is a rebrand away from the name Toddlers Can Read towards a more universal and inclusive name with programs targeted for different ages from toddlers to bigger kids to adults and okay okay it is the shift that's already happened in my following the toddler stuff is catchy it gets me on podcasts it gets attention from the news people like that 
the reality is I serve parents of toddlers, parents of elementary school kids, adults. We have people who are in traditional school, private school, homeschool, people in the U.S., people internationally. There are so many people who are working on literacy. And we want the brand to not shoot every shot. I don't want to focus on everything to the point where we don't have a lane. But I think specific programs, like the toddlers can read a program, yeah, can, 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 can go directly to that market, just like the adults can read program would go directly to adults who can't read. Yeah. And that makes sense because they're, I imagine, kind of stigmatized by like, well, I don't want to buy this product because it's for toddlers. But even though if the material inside could still help me. Exactly right. And there's so many adults who are illiterate, but people don't know. And they've learned strategies. They've learned ways to cope. I've got parents who will message me and say, my husband doesn't know that I can't read. People who will say, I wait for my partner to order first, and then I'll just get what they have. Or I'll say, what do you like? Right? And, they'll, and then they'll order food without being able to read the menu. It's surprisingly common. It's very, very sad. And a lot of these folks are living with a stigma and dealing with it in secret. And if we can make a course that is not like me teaching the parent like I typically do, but just me directly to the parent or someone else directly to the parent, I think that can change a lot of people's lives as well. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a huge addressable market, even just in the early childhood literacy development, but then it can go even broader. I think that makes, I mean, you got lots of market still out there, lots of people left to serve in this business. But for the time being, toddlersread.com, toddlers can read on social. Spencer, thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Of course, appreciate you having me. My advice to the listeners would be that your part-time gig doesn't need to get part-time effort or part-time energy or part-time belief. I think regardless of whether it goes part-time or it goes full-time, you can still give your full effort and your full engagement and your full belief. And I think this idea of going all in, I've spoken about it before in terms of quitting everything, taking a big jump and leaving everything behind. I think there's an emotional risk to starting stuff too, which is people are afraid to commit mentally. They're afraid to commit emotionally because they don't want to fail or they don't want to lose. And to me, that's part of life. So regardless of I think how much time someone is taking, there's an element of taking a step and committing and saying, I'm going to try and do this successfully. I'm going to actually give full-time energy, regardless of the hours, right? Full-time emotion, full-time dreams to this part-time thing, even if it's a small part of my day, I'm still going to give my best effort. And when I reflect on my business and I think about myself and I think about the lessons I want my son to walk away with, I want him to see someone who is giving full effort, full engagement, full belief, taking full steps when necessary to go after the thing that he is passionate about, that he cares about, that he believes can provide for the family. I think regardless of where someone's at, doing full-time, part-time, folks on the fence, I empathize with less because you got to do something, right? Like do something. It's not cool just to watch and to listen. Do something. But once you do that thing, like don't be afraid to give it your full engagement, your full investment, your full effort, and your full belief. Yeah, full energy, full engagement, even if it's not full-time hours. I think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of times more than the financial risk of starting something is that emotional risk of, well, what does it mean to me as a person if this flops? And that's a lot scarier, scarier to me, scarier to a lot of people. So 
yes, given that full engagement, full belief. Appreciate you sharing that. A couple notes again, toddlersread.com, toddlers can read on the socials. Check Spencer out over there. A couple notes that I wanted to highlight. First was kind of the, the power of a new or novel approach to an old problem that a lot of people deal with. Like the same thing with, uh, with Jacques from Piano in 21 Days who introduced us. Look, we're not going to read sheet music, but I can teach you to play piano fast. Like kind of a new novel approach to something that people want to get done. And that all of a sudden is a point of differentiation. It becomes an attention getting thing and it becomes something that you can kind of stick your flag in the sand and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to be known for. And so what we can help you do. On social, you mentioned the power of the quick wins and looking at the data analytics, like where are people dropping off? Like, okay, we get seconds, sometimes less than that to capture people's attention before we have ever any hope of capturing an email, of having them watch our free material, of selling a product down the road. So we got to get attention before you can keep that attention. And it comes back to meeting people where they're at, solving problems, doing that in entertaining and educating way. And then finally, listening to what customers want. Hey, we want something we can consume on our phones. Hey, we want physical stuff to help us through this process. And then letting them kind of dictate the direction of the business or the next initiatives there. So I think those were all really powerful. So again, thanks so much for joining me. Again, Hustle that show. If you're new to the program, you can get yourself a personalized playlist of the episodes that are most impactful for you. All you got to do is go to hustle.show, answer a few short multiple choice questions, and you'll get that custom curated playlist that you can add to your device. Thousands of people have already taken the quiz over there, and I hope you'll be next. That's at hustle.show. Big thanks to Spencer for sharing his insight. Again, thanks to Jock from Piano in 21 Days and the online courseguy.com for the intro, the online course podcast. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're finding value in the show, make sure to share it with a friend, help spread the word. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Is there a more dreaded question than what's for dinner? Meal planning and eating well to hit your nutrition goals doesn't have to be complicated. Our sponsor, Factor, makes it easy by sending delicious, ready-to-eat, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door. Every week, you've got over 35 different menu options to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie options, and more. Some personal favorites of ours so far have been the garlic mushroom chicken thighs and the Indian butter tofu. These are restaurant-quality meals ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. It's the perfect easy button solution for busy side hustlers and couples. And it's not just dinner either. Factor has nutrient-packed snacks, smoothies, breakfasts, and more. And hey, plans change, which is why you can scale up or down your meals or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 and use code sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code sidehustle50 at factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Big thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show.